Well, I wanna invite you to turn in a Bible to Acts chapter six. Uh, we will be actually looking at several passages throughout the book of Acts, which is a kind of a representation of what the church is. Uh, that's kind of this understanding of this series, Still the Hope of the World. What does the church have to do with Jesus being still the hope of the world? And so we're gonna look at that uh, again throughout Acts, but we're gonna be primarily hanging out in chapter six as we go through our, our sermon here this morning. And uh, when it comes to sermons, you know, before uh, we were able to kind of put everything in a nice little compact iPad, mini like this. Uh, we used to preach from you know, pieces of paper. Uh, and one of the things I learned along the years preaching with paper was the way that sometimes like paper would kind of stick together and so I'd skip a page which kind of throw everything off and so I learned that the cardstock actually worked a little better as far as able to move the pages around and so one weekend or one week going into a weekend I'm going into the office here at the church to print off uh, my sermon on uh, the cardstock as one does and I realize that the cardstock uh, has been upgraded uh, that it is this new cardstock that's kind of like this shiny, sleek, like really nice uh, postcard for sending postcards is what, primarily what we did around here with our, with our cardstock. And so I go uh, into the front office with one of our administrative assistants and I say, hey, I just wanted to let you know, like when it comes to cardstock, like, look, I'm, I'm really low maintenance. Like I don't need this fancy, nice, slick stuff. Like just get me like the cheap, crummy baseline. Like that's, that's all I need because, you know, I'm, I'm low maintenance, right? Uh, and so as I'm sharing this, uh, she, she responds to me. She says, uh-oh. I said, uh-oh, like, what's wrong? Like, have they discontinued my card stock? Uh, are, are we gonna have to drive to a special uh, office store up in Chicago just to get this card? Like, what, what's, what's the problem I'm thinking? And she says, no, uh-oh. She says, I'm sorry, Brian, but when it comes to maintenance, you're actually the worst kind. You see, because you think you're low maintenance, but you're actually high maintenance. And uh, so I, I took this accusation uh, to see what my wife thought about it. Uh, and I made the mistake of asking her if she thought I was high maintenance or whatever. And, her, her, her silence and her shoulder shrug <laughs> spoke volumes uh, in everything that I needed to hear. So uh, with that, and this is so funny, my iPad just went out on me. That's ironic, right? Uh, <laughs> so, you know, here's the thing. I think we all can recognize spaces in our life where we can maybe be, uh, you know, we have our kind of our particulars. Maybe we, we might say a little high maintenance, uh, have our self-interest kind of top of mind. We might even say spots and spaces where we are maybe just a little on the selfish side. And I started kind of reflecting on this even in light of kind of my Christian faith and even actually becoming a Christian altogether. I didn't grow up going to church, but as I think about why it is that I actually first became a Christian, that I actually became a follower of Jesus, the truth is, you could say selfishly, I wanted a better life. I wanted a better life. Like, I'm just being honest. Like, that's kind of how I went into this whole thing. But here's the crazy irony, is that what I've discovered in following Jesus is that Jesus actually makes me less selfish, which is actually a better life. Isn't that kind of wild? Like, I went into this whole thing looking for a better life, but Jesus shows us that the better life is actually, in our self-interest, a less selfish 
life. And so we're gonna explore that and how that plays out and how in our own lives as we consider kind of this idea of, uh, of giving or being generous or serving or loving others, like that all of this as we are less selfish, that this is ironically the best life that Jesus has for us. And so we're gonna discover a little bit in the book of Acts how this plays out for us as his church. And so the book of Acts, um, it's really a, that's kind of a, an abbreviation in that really it is called the Acts of the Apostles in that uh, you have in the book of Acts the early acts of or the early kind of serving of or the good deeds of Jesus' first apostles through most notably this launch of what we call the church. That's what the book of Acts is all about. And so chapter six, verse one, it says this about the early days of the early church. It says that in those days, when the number of disciples was increasing. And so right here you got the disciples, followers of Jesus, like the, they're growing, the, the numbers are increasing as to who are becoming followers of Jesus. But real quick, just to kind of rewind the tape, like how did we get here? How did we get to this point where we've got the church starting and that's, that's exploding and, and, and increasing and all this? And really just for some context, it actually started with what we all just celebrated just a couple of weeks ago in Christmas. That it started with the coming of Christ, Emmanuel, God with us, that Jesus, God in the flesh, came and we recognized that he also, he grew up and he didn't just teach and preach these things that we're gonna talk about, about how we can become less selfish and more selfless for what he wants for us, but he lived them, he embodied them. And so we see that Jesus, he teaches and preaches, but he also goes around doing these things, serving others, doing good, healing people from the darkness of the devil and experiencing the light and life that can only come through him. In fact, the Apostle Paul, later in the book of Acts, uh, he summed up Jesus' life and ministry this way. He says, you know how God, he anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him, because God was with him. And so Jesus, in doing this good, he actually was threatening the local religious establishment, the religious leaders of that day, to which it goes on to say, point Blake, that, quote, they killed him, by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him from the dead on the third day. And so we see this really quickly that we go from Christmas to the crucifixion of Jesus on what we call Good Friday, and then the resurrection of Jesus that we celebrate on Easter. Like this is the, the gospel, this is the good news of what has come in Jesus, that because of the sin that separated us from God, he came and he forgave us our sin. He, he accomplished what we could not accomplish on our own. And so with his death, we're forgiven. But then through his resurrection to new life, that is the pathway, the gateway that we now have a new life, both in this life and for all of eternity. In fact, that's what we just celebrated and saw in all those baptisms, that story taking place in people's lives, that they were saying by being buried under the water, they're dying to self, dying to being in charge of their own life and raising up resurrection life, new life that Jesus leads in their life. And so that's what we understand. Like that's what this whole deal is all about. That's what Christianity is. It's about this recognition that Jesus has come at Christmas, but he came, he died, and he rose again so that we could be given the life, the light that is Jesus, that we can experience his help and his hope in our world and then be an extension of that to the world. 
And here's the thing. Here's the thing when it comes to the idea that Jesus is still the hope of the world, that he is the hope of the world, that while that is absolutely the reality that Jesus is the hope of the world, the thing is, the church is interestingly enough, Jesus' strategy for bringing his hope to the world. And as I say that by church, I don't mean a, a building. Uh, in fact, it wasn't until about 300 years into the history of the church that they even first referred to as the physical gathering space as the church. That in the New Testament, the book of Acts, when we see the church, uh, the original word there was in the, the Greek language, that's what the New Testament was originally written in and translated from, that in the Greek, the word there for church is ekklesia. Ecclesia. And what ecclesia is, it's actually uh, kind of a two-part deal where you've got a prefix and then a root word. And the prefix is the word, uh, the prefix ek, which, is, uh, which means out of or from. And then uh, kaleo is the root word there for in that ecclesia, that kaleo means to call out. And you can kind of see the connection, kaleo, to call out. And so what the church is, what the ecclesia is, is actually defined as the called out ones, the called out ones. In other words, the ecclesia, the church, those of us who are called out to go and to be called out to deliver, to be, to be ambassadors for the light and the life and the hope of Jesus, that we represent he who is still the hope of the world. And so we kind of say it uh, this way all the time around here, that we just understand that who we are as a church, that Jesus is the hope of the world, but the church is Jesus' strategy to bring his hope to the world. That is who we are. Right? This is how Jesus painted it in the very early part of the book of Acts in chapter one. Uh, Jesus says this is how it's going to go, that you know, you've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, all gospels and representations of Jesus' life, and then turn the page into Acts. Here's how the church gets started. He says you're gonna receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and then you will be my, to the early church, he's saying, you're gonna be my witnesses first there in Jerusalem and then in Judea and Samaria. And then fast forward to us, to the ends of the earth. So the early church, they do this very thing, which then accomplishes, if you will, what kind of getting back to our first verse of our passage here today, chapter six, verse one, that in those days, the number of disciples was increasing. And so as we follow the, the story of the early church, that as the, the number of disciples are increasing, uh, what we then encounter, which you would expect, are, you could say, some growing pains. Uh, that in any organization, we recognize that when things grow fast, that, that there's unique challenges that, that come with that, and that was no different for the early church. And so it goes on in Acts chapter six, it says again, that in those days when the number of disciples was increasing, that the... Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. And so what you've got here, you've kind of got these various groups all coming together, but really under one umbrella, under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And you've got, uh, in this case, you've got the you could say the Hellenistic or the Greek Jewish Christians who are trying to assimilate and kind of find their space in what was in that space in Jerusalem there, an already more established uh, Hebraic Jewish Christian community. And they're trying to find their way and try to assimilate into all of that. And so what ends up happening is functionally this kind of this like logistical uh, food distribution problem uh, that the early church is facing there in Jerusalem. 
And so what the church decides to do is this unique thing that it starts here and it really has become you could say a, a tradition in the history of the church for the last couple of thousand years. Uh, nearly every church now does this. We do this all the time. And, and that is that when you encounter a problem in the church, you, you have this tradition of you call a meeting. You call a meeting. Like that's what the church does. They call the first ever congregational meeting. And so the 12 gathered all the disciples uh, and, and, the, and for this congregational meeting we see. And they say this. They say, with this problem, they say, you know, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Now, don't hear what this isn't saying. Uh, this is not them saying that we're, as disciples, somehow above doing certain things uh, with this whole idea that they, you know, all they had to do was just look back a little bit to what Jesus taught them, uh, that this understanding that if, hey, if you ever feel like you're above something or that something is beneath you, that that's when you kind of need to like kind of bow down, grab a towel and start washing some feet, Jesus said. And so this is not them saying that they're above this, but what it is, is them recognizing as the first disciples and what, frankly, the rest of the New Testament would go on to teach, such as in Ephesians 4, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, and many more, that the way God designed his church is that he distributes to different people different responsibilities to play different parts in the body of Christ, his church. And so for those first 12 apostles, it was a very specific assignment we see there. It says, quote, the ministry of the word, and other translations say the preaching of or the teaching of or the leadership of the word. And so understanding that everyone has unique roles to play, verse three, they, they propose this. The disciples propose in the congregational meeting, brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and of wisdom. We will turn the responsibility over to them and we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. And then from there, one of the most incredible miracles in the history of the church takes place. This is something that has not taken place before, and I don't know if it's ever happened ever since. But see what happens next in verse five. It says that this proposal pleased the whole group. <laughs> that everybody agreed at the church meeting. Again, never before, never since. It's a, it's a Christmas miracle, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> the whole church agrees. This proposal, it says, pleases the group, and so they move forward. They, they chose seven men. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith, of the Holy Spirit, and also Philip, and Precarious, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenius, and Nicholas from Antioch, who was a convert to Judaism, and it says that they presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. And then from there, what happens next well, we assume that you know, these seven men, that they, they figured it out, they got you know, the project management software and the Gantt charts put up, and they, we assume they resolved the food logistical distribution problem, but what do the scriptures say happened? You, you could say, as a result of these results. It says in verse seven, it says, it's the word of God, it spread that when everyone was doing their part to play the part that God had for his church, it says that the word of God spread and the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. And get this, even a large number of priests, 
Remember, those who, the religious leaders who arranged for Jesus' execution, it says that they even, quote, became obedient to the faith. And why? Well, because when the local church is being and doing what the local church was designed by Jesus to do, the word of God spreads, the number of disciples, they increase, and even those who are in opposition to the faith become obedient to the faith. And so, real simple, like, this is why we do what we do. Like, this is why I do what I do. Like, like I believe there is nothing like the local church when the local church is doing what Jesus designed the local church to be and to do. It's why we do what we do, it's why I do what I do. It's why, as I recognize, like there, there are hundreds if not thousands of philanthropic opportunities for us that are, you know, that are absolutely doing good and meeting needs and helping others, yes. But according to Jesus, as we see in Acts chapter 10, verse 38, when it says he went around doing good, we recognize that as followers of Jesus, we don't do, I guess you could say, we don't just do goodness for goodness sake, as the expression goes but according to Jesus, that we do goodness for God's sake, for the kingdom's sake, that we recognize that every temporary need met is designed to point us to the eternal need that is unmet apart from the work of Jesus Christ. That every need we meet as the church is designed to point people to their eternal need in Jesus. That that's how Jesus designed it and that we, his church, are his strategy to pull that off. And so what does that mean for us? What does it mean here for us at First Christian? What does it mean for us as Jesus Church? Well, it means the same thing for us as it meant to the early church back then. That we have to discover, each and every one of us, we have to ask ourselves on a regular basis, how are we uh, using our God-given, uh, it's kind of this cheesy alliteration, but it helps us kind of keep it in perspective, how are we using our God-given time, talent, and treasure to discover how God wants to use us to further his kingdom through his church. To quote verse seven, to be a part of increasing the number of disciples he's called us to reach. And so this past fall as a church, uh, we took some time and we talked about kind of the treasure side of things, how we're gonna be a church that does whatever it takes to give toward what God is calling us to do. But here over this two-week series, what we wanna look at is really that time and talent piece. How is God calling each and every one of us to use our time and our talent to, again, further his mission here on the planet? And a lot of you, you know, do this already, and we're so thankful to be able to partner in that way. I'll, many of you, you, you used to do this, um, but maybe kind of got out of it. We experienced this just like every organization on the planet, it seemed like when it came to, to COVID and just the challenges that came with that. And that kind of pre-COVID, we had more than 900 volunteers in 1,500 different volunteer roles, both in this church and throughout our community. And then in COVID and coming out of it, we were just shy of 300 volunteers. Uh, and so we've kind of been working our way back from there, and so maybe it's just, it's just been a while, and it just have, you haven't been kind of given that nudge to explore, okay, how do I get back into serving where God has me? Or, or maybe for you, it's like, you know, I've been new over the last few years, and I maybe feel a little too new or too inexperienced, or maybe just from an age level, you wonder, am I, am I too young to be able to know how to best step in? Or, or maybe on the other side of that spectrum, you feel like maybe you're too old, like maybe you've, you've done your time, and maybe you're just thinking, I'm gonna step aside and, you know, let kind of the next generation kind of do this or do that. But 
Here's the thing. The reality is that when it comes to Jesus Church, the way that he designed it, that whether you've been here forever or for just for a bit, or even if it's kind of your first time, whether you're young or old, whether, you know, you, you just gotta understand that the way that Jesus designed his church is to be, you know, kind of multiple layers of everyone along the path and multi and intergenerational. Like, we embrace this reality that when it comes to your age, like, like we don't say to our young people in the church, like, hey, you guys, you're the church of tomorrow. You're the church of today. Or to our older generation, you're not the church of yesterday, you too are the church of today. And so we recognize whether you're new or not, whether you're a child or you're the seniorest of senior saints, as long as there is breath in your lungs, God has a part for you to play in his church. That's the way he designed it because we're not a place that goes somewhere and calls a church. We are the ecclesia. We are each and every one of us called out by definition to go and be the church, not just go to church. And so I guess you could say God's word, his Holy Spirit, how is he calling you out? How is he calling you out to discover what it is that he wants you to be a part of? We recognize for a lot of you too that um, those who are worshiping online, uh, just please hear this, we are so thankful for our online ministry and what it accomplishes for those, uh, for when you're sick or for those who can't be here. But I think some of you at home probably need to be honest with yourself and say, are you here because you can't be here? or because it's convenient to be at home. And again, don't misunderstand this. We are all for what we do online. We have shut-ins who this is the only way that you can worship. We're so thankful to be able to make this possible. We have uh, lots of friends in the life of the church who just the work that they have doesn't allow them either on Saturday or Sunday to be live in the service, either in person or online. And so the ability to be able to catch that on demand throughout the week is such a a helpful thing. And honestly, it's one of the first ways that our guests, uh, and maybe some of you can say, yeah, like that was me. Like check out church for the first time. It's a little intimidating maybe to walk in for the first time, but to log Again, it's a little easier. So we are, again, we're all in on all of that. But I would just challenge you, um, are you not here because you really can't or because it's just convenient? And, and again, I get the convenience thing. I mean, remember, I mean, I'm the guy who can't even preach on a certain kind of card stock. Like, I totally get it. I am the worst kind. I think I'm low maintenance, but I'm actually high maintenance. And so I'm right there with you. But I just, I just wanna challenge you to consider the fact that you will never regret inconveniencing yourself for something greater than yourself. And that's for those of you worshiping online and it's for those of us who are here in the East Auditorium who are sitting on the sidelines. Maybe it's time to discover what is it that God has for you, not just to do through you, but also to do in you. Because that's something that's really important to recognize that even though it's less convenient and it's more strategic for Jesus to work through us to be what he wants us to be, to get after whatever it is that's inconveniencing ourselves, maybe to get after something that's greater than ourselves, that it's not just that we need you to serve as the church or that God needs you to, like actually you need you to serve. We don't just need you to serve, believe it or not, you need you to serve. I'll I'll point it out this way. Oxford University, uh, they released a study. Uh, So secular study, this is not like a church thing or anything. Secular study said this, that adults who volunteer, and this is after accounting for variables such as education, baseline health, smoking, all of that, says that adults who volunteer, get this, live longer, have less illness, less disability, less depression, less dementia, and live independently longer 
than those who do not. A secular study, which just reflects the truth that Jesus has been telling us for thousands of years. Acts chapter 20, verse 38, Jesus is quoted as saying, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And we see that Jesus not only said it, but he lived it, he modeled it, that it is better to serve than to be served. That that is the way he designed it. And so just isn't it wild that not only did he design his church, but he actually designed us, our minds, our hearts, our very physiology to functionally live longer and better as revealed to the science as well when we live not just for ourselves, but to serve selflessly for others. It's why our mission as a church is to, we say, to become more devoted followers of Jesus through growing and serving together, that when we serve, we actually are growing because we're, we're not just some cog in a wheel just trying to keep some church program going. No, we understand that we are part of what God is doing in us, that he wants to not only shape what he's gonna do through us, but he also wants to shape in us to become more devoted followers of him as we make more devoted followers of him through the ways in which he has given us time and talent to do so. And so, the way God's word, he kind of puts all this together. Uh, again, when it comes to time, talent, and treasure, we see this again, Ephesians 4, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, and obviously right here in Acts chapter six, that he, he, he paints this picture often of uh, God's word as like a body. Like the church is often referred to as the body of Christ. Like we are his body. And, and it says that we all make up these parts of his body. Uh, that, you know, whether you are like a hand or a foot or a nose or an eyeball or an ear or an earlobe or whatever, whatever part you are, that the way God designed it, he says that when each part does their part, we can accomplish the whole. Or you could say it this way, when, when everybody does a little, that we can accomplish a lot. We can accomplish a lot, that that's the way Jesus strategically designed his church. And so what kind of things do we accomplish? Well, there, there's a lot, uh, but maybe just to kind of make it real. Uh, again, these are stories that are not metaphorical or theoretical. I, I hear them more because I see the emails and I hear the stories maybe a little more often than you get to, but uh, in real time, what's happening right now? Or 30 minutes ago, we could say. There's a mom that, that walked into this space, maybe for the first time, happens all the time, and she's got her kids in tow, and she's figuring out where to check in her kids at the first kids, and she drops off her kids, and she's, she's hoping. I mean, she's, she's praying that what her kids experience in that space that the people, the volunteers, whether adults or some of our student leaders, like that they will experience, we like to say, the tangible touch of Jesus Christ. Because she knows, even if she can't put words to it, that when she was a child, that she experienced God through uh, the caring volunteers of those who you know, were part of her. And so she's just hoping and praying that, that what her kids experience will be an extension of who Jesus is through a loving and caring volunteer right now who's serving in that space. And then as she leaves, you know, um, She's hoping that maybe as their kids come out that they can't say enough about how great it was of what they experienced there in first kids. And you know, maybe she has a husband who's there, a dad who, um, you know, maybe he's not a big fan of the whole church thing, but he's a big fan of his family thing. And he's maybe hearing from them for the first time just how great this experience was. And she's hoping that he'll wanna come back and that when they come back next week, that when he walks through those doors, that he'll experience something different 
that there's something about the people here, whether officially on our hospitality team or just all of us who are a part of the unofficial hospitality team or in the cafe or whatever, that there's just something different that, you know, they recognize, that she recognizes, that she hopes he recognizes, that when he walks into this room or the East Auditorium, that the intentionality that has gone into the tech team making sure that we can see everything and hear everything and the, the music team and all the things, and they're just, she's just hoping and praying that maybe what is, you know, the ministry of the word, chapter six verse, uh, of, our, of our thing, like that maybe what is said, maybe what is shared is, is practical, is helpful, that, that maybe by the end of this whole experience that, that dad, that her husband would not just come in and find something that was tolerable, but truly something that was transformational. because that's the power that we have through those areas and so many others. And, and many of you know the story because it's your story. It's my story. I didn't grow up doing the church thing. I showed up just like a couple of parents are gonna bring a teenager tonight who has never been to student life and it's gonna be their first time and they're praying that there's gonna be a caring adult like Heather or like Brandon who's gonna be there, who's gonna get their name, who's gonna know their name, who's gonna remember their name, who's gonna invite them back and experience the tangible touch of Jesus through the care of one of our volunteers. And again, all of that is only as true as much as each and every one of us are willing to step into making that true in what God has us in the respective roles that we have in the life of this church. That is the story that he is writing over and over and over again because that is the way that he designed it. And so, I know I'm kind of starting to drone on, I can tell because I'm not, you sticking to my iPad notes. Um, but let me just say this kind of as we wrap up, that as true as all these things are, one of the things that I also know is absolutely true is when it comes to okay, navigating kind of your time, your talent and all that, you're like, you don't have time. Like, like I know, like I know you don't have time. Like none of us have time. Because you guys are awesome, crazy, successful people who are getting after the things that God has for you, whether in your career or you know, making opportunities for your kids or just all the things that are happening. And I get it, like, like you don't have time, none of us do. But I'm asking you, to make time. I'm asking you to make time because I know you well enough to know that you do make time for the things that matter. And I think that you know, as you look at God's word and you look at where you're at in your journey, if you're not stepping into a space or a place where you're able to use what God has given you to further what he wants to accomplish through you and in you for his church, you know that this is something that matters. Um, and so to get real specific to what that time looks like, uh, I'm asking you actually next week, after this service, actually it's gonna be after all of our services, we're gonna have a, just like a 15 minute get together to really personalize a little more of kind of helping you kind of connect some dots as to where you might find your best spot to plug in in the life of the church. Um, and so I know that, I have this assumption, maybe I'm wrong about this, but if I called any one of you up this week and said, hey, could I grab like 15 minutes after service next week? That most of you would say yes. Uh, so I'm just kind of cashing in all that right now uh, for next week to be able to do that together. And so we'll give more details and like where to go and all that stuff next week. We don't wanna kind of bore you with all those details now, but more importantly, what we wanna challenge you this week is just to begin thinking about this, maybe praying about it, just saying, okay, God, where is it that you wanna use me and I, you know, all the time and talents and all the stuff, God, where do you want to use me? Because if you're here, we don't need just seven men, we don't need seven of you, we need 
hundreds of you. We need, technically, we need all of you because that's the way that Jesus designed it, that each and every one of us are only the church when we are being the expression of the church that he has called us to be and to do. And so I'll look forward to what God is gonna do. Yes, we love it in you, but then out of the overflow of that through you to not just make you a more devoted follower of Jesus, but to create more devoted followers of Jesus. And so I'm excited. We're more motivated than ever because with this whole idea of whatever it takes and time, talent, and treasure, uh, we believe Jesus is still the hope of the world. And for whatever reason, he decided strategically to make us, his church, the ecclesia, the called out ones, his strategic plan to bring that hope to his world. And so with these ideas in mind, let's pray, asking for his help to lead all of us. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks that even as we look at what it is that you want us to do, that first and foremost, there is nothing we can do to earn your favor. We are so thankful, God, that we are saved by the finished work of Jesus, that there is nothing we can do to ever earn that. But God, out of the overflow of that, out of thankfulness to that, we just wanna discover how we can live in that and share that with others. And so God, would you lead each of us as we pray and think and consider what it is that you wanna have each of us do to recognize that you don't want something from us, you do want more of us, but even as you showed us in your word and the science backs up, in all of it, you actually have more for us as we give glory to you in all of it. So God, we thank you that we are here because we've experienced at some measure that there's nothing like the local church when the local church is doing what the local church was designed to be. And so God, would you show us where it is that you want us to plug into your plan to bring that hope, that healing, the light and life of Jesus, still the hope of the world, to our world, our community, through our church. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And all God's people said, amen, amen and amen.